All right, I was reading this week about a, a kind of a quote that kind of freaked me out a little bit. It came in light of Apple introducing their new tablet computer, the iPad. They've, you know, they introduced a couple of weeks ago. It'll be out in three or four months. And it said that technology in computers will advance more in the next 10 years than it has advanced in the last 20 years. In fact, it will probably double in the next 10 years what have happened in the last 20. And I couldn't help but think of how much stuff has improved in 20 years. I remember the first cell phone I ever had. I think I've told you this before. My first cell phone plan, I had 30 minutes a month. No texting, no data plan. It was a phone, right? And we moved to today. I have the iPhone, and so on my iPhone, I can, I can call, I can text, I can multimedia text, I can get directions, I can to GPS, it talks to me if I need it to talk to me, I can speak into it, it'll find something, call it, and give me directions to it. I mean, it's just amazing. I was thinking about video games. When I first started playing video games, it was on a system called the Atari 2600. Anybody remember that? All right. First games that I remember playing, there were two or three, there was Combat, which Combat was a major upgrade from Pong. Anybody remember Pong? Remember Pong? Pong was two things on the side and a ball that bounced between them. Combat was a major improvement. The things on the side looked like tanks. That's it. That's all. And so I remember playing combat. I remember playing football. But you couldn't throw the ball. You couldn't kick the ball. The ball hiked and you ran. There were three guys on the screen on Atari football. It's funny because my brother and I used to play. He's five and a half years older than me. And I won if I kept him from scoring 100 points. That was our little game. Well, today my son plays video games and it's completely different, right? In fact, even some of the games that I've played are being remade. My son's favorite video game right now is Mario for the Wii. Super Mario Bros. Brothers for the Wii, right? Now, I, the first video, the Atari 2600 was my brother's. Mario on the Nintendo was mine. And so that was the first game I played. Well, I was thinking about all that in relation to a specific genre of video games that have become so real that some people talk about having stress after playing them. They've become so lifelike that people will warp themselves into this world for hours upon a time. They put on the headphones, they've got the microphone, and they play online for hours with people from all over the world. And when you look at these games, you realize they're so realistic, it's, it's a little freaky at times, right? In fact, I was uh, looking at a trailer uh, for a particular game that came out recently that's supposed to be the biggest game of the year. It's called Modern Warfare 2. Uh, it's Call of Duty. All the youth are excited about that. I heard the grunts. And I, some of you haven't seen a video game in a while. And so I thought I'd play just a portion of the trailer for you, okay? We're going to try this, Steve, aren't we? Here we go. Cain was the first man ever to strike down another. And when the Lord came to him and said, what have you done? Cain could not hide his crime, for the voice of his brother's blood cried out from the very ground. All right, that's all we got. 
I can't show much more of it, actually, or I'd get letters tomorrow, trust me. All right? But here's the thing. The game has become so lifelike that some people say when they get through, they feel like they've been in battle. But here's the truth. They haven't. There are no guns around. There are no bullets flying by their head. There's no enemy around. In fact, uh, we were having a conversation about this this week in the in the staff. We were talking about games like this. And uh, they were talking about there was a guy that served time overseas in conflict, and he still plays these games. And they said, what's the biggest difference between the game and the conflict? He said, you can't push pause in real war. And the truth is, I, I was thinking about all that. I just think, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Over the last three weeks, we've talked about spiritual warfare as it relates to us. And just to be real honest with you, there are times when I read stories of spiritual, when you do spiritual warfare, you can get online or I've got resources that I can read about all these amazing stories that are happening all over the world where spiritual warfare is just evident. And sometimes when I read about those and I think about them and then I think about what we're talking about, it almost seems to me that we've locked ourselves into a virtual simulation of spiritual warfare. That we're kind of playing the game, but we're not involved in the real combat. And it's not that it's not really around us. I believe that spiritual warfare is all around us. I believe that one of the greatest lies the enemy has for us is that we are just kind of involved. Or that that's elsewhere. But the truth is, Scripture makes it very clear that we are involved in intense war. And I want to tell you, there are times in your life when just normal, everyday life comes crashing down. And we can attribute it to a lot of things, but one of the things that is prevalent in that time is spiritual warfare. I told you a few weeks ago that I used to watch wrestling growing up, right? And one of the things that I used to get so mad about in wrestling was I always rooted for the good guys. Now, there are people out there, and especially today, that root for the bad guys. I always rooted for the good guys. And when the good guys would be winning and the match looked like it was going to be over, perhaps they've got them on the mat, they're about to pin them, and then the manager or somebody else would run in with a chair. You may have watched You're looking at me. Anybody watch wrestling? You've seen that? And they would break the chair over them, and then everything's changed, right? And I used to scream at the TV. Well, well, actually, I did. I used to scream at the TV, that's not fair. And the referee always was looking the other direction. He never saw it. And so in light of that, sometimes they would make new matches out of those matches, and they would be special matches. Growing up in West Tennessee watching the Memphis wrestling, one of the things they always did was the loser-leave-town match. Well, that wasn't good enough. They did a cage match. Well, if that wasn't good enough, they would do a cage match with something on a pole in the middle that they could use. Well, the worst of all matches was a match they called the no-holds-barred match. And what that meant is anything goes. Well, in our lives, there are moments when spiritual warfare ramps up to the place where it feels like anything goes, no-holds-barred. Today, we're going to talk about the one thing that you can use when that happens. The most important thing to understand in spiritual warfare. Chapter 6 of Ephesians, starting in verse 10. We're going to read through the whole passage, but we're going to focus on the last three. We've covered the other ones in the weeks 
before. I know that some of you weren't here last week because of uh, Snowpocalypse 2010. I know you weren't here. I really appreciate I put on my Facebook this week, I really appreciated Sumner County Schools taking my birthday off uh, on Wednesday, the snow had already gone, but they still decided school needed to be out for my birthday. I appreciate that. I'm honored by that, but we still got snow around. But anyway, some of you weren't here. I would encourage you to get on our podcast. You can go to iTunes and just search First Baptist Goodlettsville, and it'll come up. You can subscribe on iTunes, or you can go to a site that's sermonplayer.com slash Goodlettsville. You can listen to last week. I would encourage that, or nothing else, ask Diane to make you a copy just to fill out the series. But we talked about over the last three weeks the armor of God. And verse 10 starts as, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This morning we're going to talk about when life gets really intense, when things get really hard, what do we do? How do we live? And the thing that I want you to understand today is that the most important thing we can do in those moments is to turn to the Lord in prayer. Look what happens in verse 18. It just says this. When he gets through with all that about all the cool stuff, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and all of that, he says, and pray. The idea there is not, oh, and by the way, add this to the end. The idea is that over all of this should be a communication with God. The truth is, one man has said that while the church is looking for better things to do, the, God is not looking for the church to do better things. He's looking for better people, people of prayer. And the truth is that most of us in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, often fall short in this area. Now, what am I talking about when it comes to prayer? Well, there are a few things. And the first is, we require consistent prayer, continual consistent prayer. Look what it says in verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. The idea is that we are to pray always. The idea literally is that we are to keep in constant communication with God. One pastor has said it this way. He says, it's like we have a phone call with God that we always leave open. The truth is, God doesn't expect us every time we pray to come to Him and give a formal introduction. We don't have to come and say, O Lord and Father, great maker of heaven and earth. Now, it's not wrong to do that, but we don't have to do that every time. There are moments in my life when I just go immediately into prayer. When I just say something real quickly. The other day I needed to get somewhere after, I joked about snowpocalypse, after that happened. And my driveway has a spot on it that may not be clear at this moment. 
it just doesn't get sun, it doesn't get warm, and so it's always icy. And I'd been out Saturday, last Saturday afternoon, I'd been out here at the church and some other stuff, making sure everything was looking good here. And then I got back in the car, and I started back up my driveway. Well, it was about two hours later, and it had all refrozen. Now, growing up, my dad always warned me about black ice. Well, this was kind of whatever the gravel-colored ice is, all right? And so I started up the hill, and as I got halfway up the hill, the car did that thing where the tires are spinning and I'm going nowhere, okay? And so immediately, what happens? When you're on a hill and you can't go up, you go down. Now, I know most of you all haven't been to my house. You haven't seen this. But on the back of my driveway at my house, the nice ends in a nice little square, and then there's about a 30-foot drop with trees. And so I am suddenly coasting. I haven't even told Susan this, so y'all don't tell her, all right? I started coasting back down the driveway and realized I cannot stop. I have about a second and a half before our van is going to be in need of serious repair uh, because it's run into a tree. I did not take a moment to go into a formal prayer introduction to the Lord. Right? I did not take time to go into a detailed understanding. I just said, stop this car now. Now, I kind of screamed that, stop, but it was a prayer unto the Lord, right? It's a lot better than other things I could have screamed, amen? And so I just said, stop, and magically the car stopped. Now, you know, the Lord was watching over. My point there is there are times when it's okay not to go into formal introduction. And the truth is just throughout your day, just talking to the Lord. Now, you might not want to do that uh, in a restaurant or walking in the mall if you're doing it out loud because people think you're a little crazy, although that might be all right. But I have done it in my car. Anybody ever prayed out loud in your car? There's nobody else around there. What do they know? If the person next to me thinks I'm singing or talking to myself, who cares, right? I'm driving past them. So you just talk constantly with the Lord. What he says here is pray on all occasions. The idea there is not just to keep a constant conversation, but the idea there literally is that we are to pray no matter what happens. When good happens, we pray. When bad happens, we pray. When Difficulty comes, we pray. When joy happens, we pray. At all times, we talk unto the Lord. This is the best way I can compare it. You think of the person in your life right now that you tell everything to. Be that spouse, child, parent, friend, whoever. And you think about the person in your life you tell everything to, and that is what your conversation with the Lord ought to be like. Now, there's a difference. When you're talking to your spouse, when I'm talking to Susan, I'm sometimes giving her information she does not know. But she still wants to hear. Even if she's heard it before she wants to hear. With God, you're giving him information he already knows. But he still wants to hear. My gramps is in the hospital. Some of you have asked about him. He's not doing real well. But he's older. He's sick. And uh, that just kind of happens. He's Scripture talks about that, that that, that's our life will fade. Well, we were the other day, Thursday, I went to Dyersburg just to be with the family, and we were sitting around, and for an hour and a half probably in between visiting times, we just talked about old stories of the family. Now, in that time, there was not a single story told that we all didn't know. 
we told those stories time and time again. My dad and my uncle used to coach baseball. And we told baseball stories for an hour and a half. And we still laughed, and we enjoyed them, and we had a good time. There wasn't any information in there that I didn't know. But you know what? It was still good to share it. God is like that with us. We're his children. He knows everything that's happened in our day, but he still enjoys the time we spend sharing it with him on a continual basis. So if we're going to survive in this world when things happen, we need consistent prayer. I remember growing up, every day my dad would ask me how my day had been at school. And I thought that was the most ridiculous question I'd ever heard. Well, why does he care? You know what? I thought it was a I thought it was a ridiculous question until I had a son. And every day when he gets in the car, what's the first thing I say? How was your day at school? How was it going? Everything go all right? Why? Because I want to know. I care. God already knows, but He wants us to share that with Him. It requires consistent prayer. The second thing is, it requires diverse prayer. This is what I love about this passage. It says that we are to pray in the Spirit. We'll get to that in a minute. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers. Here's what I want to tell you. There is no one right way to pray. There's not. There is no one right way to pray. There are times in my life when I have prayed standing up. There are times when I prayed sitting down, when I prayed on my knees, when I prayed lying in my bed, when I prayed driving a car, when I prayed playing sports. There is no right way to pray. There are times that I have used formal introduction to the Lord. I did the formal kind of talk. There are times where it's just me and Him talking. There are times when I praise Him first and then ask. There are times when I ask and then praise. There's no great, perfect way. Even the Lord's Prayer that we sometimes quote, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus introduces the Lord's Prayer saying, Don't mumble prayers just so that you say it the same way all the time like the pagans do. So he didn't intend for us to always repeat that prayer when we go to the Lord. We're to pray in different ways. When I was growing up, I grew up in a small country church. So I was about five or six years old. It's called Southside Baptist Church. And Southside Baptist Church was made up of some of the most country farmers you've ever met. I mean, when they talked, you knew they were from the South and they farmed. You tell by their accent. And what would always kill me is, I, used to, I thought it was funny when I was four or five years old. These men, there was a guy there named Moody Golden. Moody was just an old country boy. Milked cows, got eggs all his life. But when Moody Golden got up to pray, Moody Golden sounded like he was from London, England. He said so many these and thous and hithers and thithers. It's like he was trying his best to impress everybody. Now, here's the thing. If you don't talk to your wife in King James English, don't talk to the Lord in King James English, all right? If you don't go to the supper table and say, what for are we having it for dinner tonight? If. If you don't say that, don't go to the Lord with you that maketh the heavens and the earth. Right? You talk to him like you talk. You just are who you are. But we laugh because, one, we've all done it, right? You've all been in a setting, you can admit this, when you've tried to impress people with the words you know in your prayer. Now, you're looking at me. Some of you are like, Pastor, I would never do that. Sure. And the second thing is because we've heard that before, people that just speak, but they're not 
who they are. When you go to the Lord, just talk to Him. Now, when you go, always remember who you're talking to. I mean, remember you're talking to the maker of heaven and earth. That you're talking to the one that created everything we see, the most powerful being that has ever existed or will ever exist in the history of the world. I love that story in Job where Job's had all that stuff happen to him and he comes to the Lord and he starts complaining. He says, Lord, why, 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 why? God finally comes to him and says, hey, wait a minute, Job. Where were you when the worlds were made? Hey, Job, you're talking to me. Do you know where the snow sits? Do you know where the storehouses of rain is? Can you make thunder and lightning come? Remember when you're talking to the Lord who you're talking to. And so when you come and you are yourself before the Lord, then you need to purge yourself. You need to tell him what's going on in diverse ways, different ways, and ask him to cleanse you. If we're going to be victorious in this life, we've got to have consistent prayer. We've got to have diverse prayer, different ways all the time. Here's the third thing. Part of our prayer life has got to be intense. Now, I know that I said a couple of minutes ago that that prayer can be a free-flowing kind of moment. You don't have to have that formal introduction. And while that's true most of the time, there are times in our lives when we need to enter into intense prayer, where we shut everything else out on the outside, we get alone with the Father in our little space, and we pray. That in those moments, we become focused on Him. We become focused on on that. We live in a generation that is finding it increasingly difficult to focus. And it's not just being diagnosed as ADD or ADHD, which are valid diagnoses when they're appropriate. It's just as a generation, we are constantly distracted. Last night, I was trying to get Madeline to sleep. And I was had her in my arms, and I was rocking her. And she was starting to kind of settle down where I could do some other things, you know, where, where she's rocking and you can pay attention to other things. You don't have to be focused on her. And I realized that as I was rocking, I had the television on. I had the computer set up on the screen when I had a, a Twitter feed going that was happening. I had my phone beside me at my other hand where I could do it. I had a drink and something to eat over here. And I thought, how many things can I be doing at once? And then I thought, the thing is, that's not unusual. That's my life. And so for me, one of the most difficult things is not carrying on that constant conversation with the Lord, just where it happens, Lord, I need this, or can you help me here, or thank you for this, that it takes that focused, purposeful prayer. It says here that we are to pray in the Spirit with this in mind, alert. Alert means watchful. It means purposeful. It means focused. And the idea there is that we come to Him and there are moments when we say, listen, I need to shut everything else out in life and it's just you and me and here is what's going on right now. It says in the Spirit and that's kind of an interesting concept. The best explanation I'd heard about that is from a guy named Tony Evans who is a pastor in the Dallas area. And Tony Evans says that praying in the Spirit is like hopping on a moving sidewalk with the Lord. You may have been on a moving sidewalk, you know what I'm talking about? In an airport, airplane, whatever, air, not in airplanes, they don't have any airplanes, that'd be a little freaky. In airports, 
in airports, they've got the moving sidewalks. Uh, when we went to Brazil last year, they have them in Miami. And so you get on them, and you've got to go from terminal to terminal. And it's going in one direction, and you hop on, and as you walk, it's carrying you in that direction. And Tony Evans says that when we pray in the Spirit, what it means is that we become so in line with God's plan and God's will and what he's wanting to do that it's like we suddenly are put on a moving sidewalk with the Lord that's taken us exactly where we're going. We're to pray in the Spirit, and I believe that implied here is that we are to pray big prayers, audacious prayers. I found this quote this week that I love. Pray the largest prayers. This is what I like. You cannot think a prayer so large that God, in answering it, will not wish you had made it larger. Pray not for crutches, but for wings. Here's what that says, and I love it. If you could think of the biggest prayer you could ever pray, God would say, is that all you got? It's too small. Think bigger. Here's the last thing if we're going to be victorious in our prayer life. We've got to have intercessory prayer. It's a big word. That's one of those big words for church, but that just means we've got to pray for each other. We've got to pray constantly for each other. Look what he says. He says in verse 19, at the end of verse 18, keep on praying for all the saints. That generally means for all of those that have accepted the Lord as their Savior. Do you just pray for them? One of the reasons is when you pray for somebody, it gives you a heart for them. Somebody said this week, I read that about gossip and prayer, is that we never pray for folks we gossip about, and we never gossip about people we pray for. That if you're truly praying for them, that your heart is turned towards them. And it says that we are to pray for all the saints. Now, I know that saints for a lot of people means those special Christians. That's not what it means here. What it means is people that are following Jesus, we pray for them all. You need to be praying for each other. Not only that, you need to pray for me. Now, Paul says it here to pray for him. He was kind of their founding pastor. He was a guy that oversaw them. He wasn't their pastor on the ground, but they saw him like a pastor. And he says that... You need to pray for me, and I need your prayers. For the same thing Paul said, that when I open my mouth, words may be given so that I will fearlessly communicate the mystery of the gospel. Here's one of the things that I need you to pray for me about, is that I will say exactly what God intends for me to say. There are times in my study during the week when God tells me that I've got some medicine that I need to dose out on Sunday morning. And it might not taste good. And if any of you have ever tried to give bad-tasting medicine to a child, you know how difficult that can be. And one of the temptations I have is to get up here some Sundays and to water down the medicine so it tastes a little better. And I need you to pray that I will be bold in what God tells me to say. And here's the thing. You need to pray that I'll be bold even if the medicine is for you. I need to be praying that I'll be bold even if the medicine's for me. Paul says that we need to pray for your leaders, not just me. You need to pray for our staff. You need to pray for your Sunday school leaders. In that intense time, you need to pray. Walking through sometime, you think, oh, uh, I need to pray for Code. I need to pray for Jeff. I need to pray for Jake or Jim or Tom or Alan. I need to pray for, for Deborah or Elizabeth in the, st- in the office. Pray. And here's the last thing. You need to pray for those that are outside the faith. 
people that have yet to accept Jesus as their Savior. Paul ends all this saying that he wants to proclaim the gospel, which he's an ambassador in chains, that he wants to proclaim it fearlessly as he should. One of the things that I was thinking about this week is there are certain times in our lives when spiritual warfare comes harder than others. And generally, those times can, we can know them. One is when we begin to grow spiritually. That's why when youth go off to camp and the God really begins to do some things in their lives, almost always they come back home and stuff just breaks and they have a hard time maintaining their commitment. It's true for adults when God begins to work, that, that we see that growth, then suddenly God begins to grow us and the enemy gets upset. When you invade enemy territory, I told the first service this morning, I have never been on a trip to Brazil when we haven't had a problem of some kind. Never. In fact, if I were to try to go to Brazil and everything was perfect, I would be real concerned. I got a call this week. We're getting ready to go to Brazil this summer. Got a call this week. I don't think we can get tickets. I said, we got to get tickets. It can't, you know, we're not walking down there. We got to have plane tickets. And our travel agent said, I just don't think we can get tickets. We, we, they don't have tickets. I said, well, you've got to find us tickets. And I began to pray. I knew immediately that was a sign that we needed to go more than ever. We've got some tickets. We don't have all the tickets we need, but we have some. And we're praying that God will provide more. There was a group that canceled after we started praying that we would have our tickets, that we got their tickets. One year we were doing a, our major thing is we were doing a medical clinic. We got to the airport, and we got ready to go through customs, and we got through uh, find us getting in the country. We got through customs, and they looked at me and thought, boy, he looks suspicious. They pulled me over. Now, that year, we all had carried all the medical stuff in the exact same kind of luggage. There were big crates, and we all wore the same T-shirts. And so when they pulled me over and thought I had something suspicious, the next 12 people behind me got pulled over. They tried to confiscate all our medical stuff. That's the one where I was in the airport, literally, and I couldn't understand a word the guy was saying. He told me to open the box, and I opened the box, and my box was filled with bandages. And he wanted to know what in the world I was doing with the crate filled with Band-Aids. I said, bandages? He said, for who? Only English he spoke the whole time. They didn't let us go through. We all got left. We thought our luggage was gone. We got word as we were getting on the plane. They're letting the luggage all go through but it'll be on another plane. When we got to where we were going, we got there, and the plane they had to put the luggage on was an American plane that had not cleared customs. So we had to clear customs again, and they held it up again. That week, we saw about 5,000 people. We saw over 1,000 people come to know Christ for the first time. But we knew we were invading enemy territory. Here's the thing for us as a church. Spiritual warfare almost always comes immediately before God is getting ready to do something big in the life of a person or a church. And I believe, we've seen some good things over the last couple of years, I believe we're getting ready for some great things. Here's what I know. The spiritual world's in tap with that more than we are. And I believe that in the days and the weeks ahead, we've got to be prepared like we've never been prepared before. So I'm asking you as a congregation to pray consistently with variety, intensely for each other, for this church as we seek God do some amazing things.